following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Uh, This past weekend was kind of a crazy one. If you woke up Saturday morning, you realized uh, very early that it felt like early January. Uh, it was snowing, there was snow piled up. Uh, even when I went out the first time on Saturday morning, nothing was plowed, and uh, it just felt like the, the dead of winter. And then by noon, that snow had already started to, to melt off, and it was starting to warm up, and it felt like, well, maybe this is like early March. And if you were out at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, it felt like late April or early May. I mean, it was, it was starting to feel warm, and there was almost no snow left. I mean, it just changed very quickly. And then yesterday morning, we woke up on Sunday morning, and it was raining and, and warm, and it, it felt almost like fall. So in the matter of 24 hours, we had, we had all four seasons roll through Erie. But yesterday morning when it was snowing, uh, I, I noticed on, on the news there were several reports of things being canceled, and, and I know one town had like a, a, a town festival going on, and they had to cancel it. And I just thought about what a great disappointment it was for all those people who had put in all that time and all that energy to put that festival and that time together. They had probably worked out all the logistics and and every detail of where people needed to be and where parking was and what time different aspects of the event were going to happen. And then because of snow, they have to postpone it. They put it off. It didn't happen yesterday. See, they probably thought, well, we've done everything we need to do. We've got it all ready. It's all in order. And then because of something out of their control, they probably felt like all that hard work was, was wasted, was lost. You've probably had that experience in your life in one way or another where you think you've done everything right. Like, I, I did this. I did that. This is all in place. Everything should be good. Everything should be working. And then you don't get the result that you thought you should get from all of that hard work. How true is that experience to, honestly, most aspects of our lives? And we get disappointed in those things because if we're honest, we tend to think that we have way more control than we do. We think that the good things in our lives can be won or can be achieved if we would just do the right things, if we just followed the right steps, if we just accomplished the right tasks. And honestly, it's an incredibly arrogant approach on our behalf. Because you see the best things in our lives, the things that are a blessing from our God, the things that God has given us, they're not awards to be won or earned or achieved. They're gifts to be received because we can't be good enough. We can't be clever enough. We can't be righteous enough to earn them. And that's not an excuse for us not to work hard, not to put in the effort that we need to put in, but it's a reality that we don't deserve and haven't earned any of the good things in our lives. And so the question then that's left before us is how do you and I live humbly 
yet expectantly in light of God's blessings. Because we expect our good and holy God to to bless us. That's what he said he will do. It's a promise he makes to us, but we know we don't deserve those blessings. So how how do we marry those two? And in today's passage of Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 through 43, um, we're going to find three ways to approach God's blessings in a healthy and faithful manner. And the first is this. First, we acknowledge God's blessings. We acknowledge God's blessings. Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 through, through 34 says this, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children that I have worked for and let me go. You know how hard I have worked for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor with you, stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Then Laban said, name your wages and I will pay them. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your herds have fared with me. For you had very little before I came, but now your wealth has increased. The Lord has blessed you because of me. And now, when will I also do something for my own family? Laban asked, what should I give you? And Jacob said, you don't need to give me anything if you do this one thing for me. I will continue to shepherd and keep your flock. Let me go through all your sheep today and remove every sheep that is speckled or spotted, every dark colored sheep among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the female goats. Such will be my wages. In the future, when you come to check on my wages, my honesty will testify for me. If I have any female goats that are not speckled or spotted or any lambs that are not black, they will be considered stolen. Good, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. We acknowledge God's blessings. Remember, Jacob has served Laban now for a number of years, well over 14, because he worked, he came to Laban, he worked, and then he worked seven years and was given Leah as his wife, and he worked another seven years after being given Rachel. And then last week, we saw the birth of, of all of these children through these women. So he's been with Laban for a number of years. And now he expresses his desire to return to the land that God promised to give him. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 28, as Jacob is in Bethel, and God comes to him in this vision and gives him the vision of the, the stair steps that go up to heaven. And what God says in Genesis 28, verse 13, is he says, I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. So God says, this place here, this will be yours. So Jacob says, it's time for me to go back. It's time for me to return to God's blessings. But Laban, the ever shrewd businessman, knows that God has blessed him because of Jacob's presence. That's what he says in verse 27. And so what does he do? He tries to get Jacob to stay longer, which makes sense if you're any kind of businessman at all and you've got something that works really well for you, wouldn't you want to to keep that going? So he tries to get Jacob to stay with him simply to prolong his prosperity. And after this interaction, Jacob agrees to stay, but he offers this plan to acquire for himself and his family some, some wealth. He asks that this specific group from the flock be given to him. 
Verse 32 and 33 gives this plan. I want just these specific animals to be set aside as as mine. You can have all the rest. But what I want you to see in this interaction this morning, in these first uh, several verses, is the foundation for both Laban's request and Jacob's plan. The foundation that all of this is built on, the motivation for both of them saying what they want to say, is yes, prosperity, but it's all built on the fact that they understand that they have been blessed by God. They both realize that God is the one in charge. Yes, they're doing their part. They're trying to to get what they can get, but they realize God is in charge. Laban says, I've been blessed, Jacob, because of you. And Jacob says, you know, you have been blessed because of me, right? You have been blessed. God has taken care of you. God has given you what you have. As I was studying this week, I just, I kept coming back to the thought of how often I, I don't respond uh, like Laban and, and Jacob here. How, how often, if I'm honest, how often in my life do I look at my success, the things I have accomplished, the things I've done and think that's because I did this, right? Look at what I did. Look at what my, my intelligence got me. Look at what my efforts came to. Like, look at this. I did a great job. But when I fail, that's somebody else. Right? It's, it's that idea of like, well, if I succeed, I did a great job. If I fail, it's because they didn't work hard enough. They didn't help out. That situation was beyond my control. I couldn't have done anything about it. The reality is, the reality is we know God is in control of all things. And this is especially true of our blessings. James 1 verse 17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. What that tells us is, yes, in in James' day, James says every blessing is from God. He says, but God doesn't change. So that means that even in Jacob's day, God was the one who was doing the blessing just as he did in James' time, just as he does today, because God does not change. He is the Father of lights. He is the one who blesses. See, recognizing success and blessings as God's doing doesn't downplay our part, doesn't downplay our calling. See, we all have a role to play. God has called us to holiness. God has called us to righteousness. God has called us to follow him obediently. We have work to do, but God is the blessing giver. I love the way Proverbs says it in Proverbs 16, verse nine. It says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. God says, you should be thinking, you should be making plans. You should be figuring out how to to best handle situations, but understand that God is in control. And so every step of your walk, every step of your life should be one where you are stopping along the way, stopping to praise God, stopping to pray with gratitude, stopping to glorify him. Listen, if you're somebody who finds in your life that you are just, you're tired, you're exhausted, 
You've been chasing success and blessing, trying to figure out how you can get life to work out the way you think it should or the way you want it to, trying to to gain whatever you can get from the situations before you. Let me help you to find rest and peace and let me help you to find the blessing you've been looking for. It's super easy. I'm gonna ask you for 10 minutes of your time. Just 10 minutes of your time this week. Sit down for 10 minutes. And I want you in those 10 minutes to have a a piece of paper or a, a Word document open in front of you. And for 10 minutes, I just want you to write down all of the blessings in your lives. Write down every way God has blessed you. And and I don't even mean it has to be the big things. Like it can be really small things. I mean, think about the, the air that you breathe, the fact that you have food in the refrigerator, that you don't have to worry about whether I will be able to eat my next meal. Think about the fact that maybe you have a vehicle that is reliable that you can, that you can take to wherever you need to go. Maybe you have a, a job and it's your family. It's, I mean, there are big things and there are small things. It doesn't matter. Just write down for 10 minutes all of the blessings that God has given you and then do this. For the rest of the week, for the next seven days after whenever you write this down, spend time every day to look at that list and just pray through that list. Pray, God, thank you for the air that I breathe. I know that I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. There's nothing I could do to attain it. It is a blessing from you and from you alone. God, thank you for the fact that I have food in my refrigerator. I don't deserve it. There's no reason for me to be able to have access to it. That is a blessing from you that I do not deserve. Thank you. God, thank you for the fact that I have a vehicle that I can drive to work or to the store or to the whatever I to church to wherever I need to go. That is a blessing from you. I don't deserve it. That is a blessing from you. Thank you. Just pray through that list, praising God, blessing him, and acknowledging that every good thing in your life is a blessing from God. Listen, do you see God's blessings in your life? Do you take time to recognize and and be grateful for the ways he has blessed you, knowing that you don't deserve it, you haven't earned it, but it is a gift from God. We acknowledge God's blessings. Jacob and Laban both see God at work in the the blessings and um, and the prosperity of their lives. But as the story continues, we see in Jacob the next step. Yes, we acknowledge every blessing is from God, but we trust God's blessings. We also trust God's blessings. Verse 35 and 36, the story continues. It says, that day Laban removed the streaked and speckled male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one that had any white on it and every dark colored one among the lambs. And he placed his sons in charge of them. He put a three days journey between himself and Jacob. Jacob, meanwhile, was shepherding the rest of Laban's flocks. We trust in God's blessings. Jacob and Laban had come to this agreement. Jacob's gonna stay with Laban in exchange for these uncommon animals, the speckled and spotted sheep, the the black lambs, the speckled and, and spotted female goats. And that sounds fair to a certain extent, doesn't it? Jacob's going to get some, some flocks. 
some of the flock. He's going to get some animals. Laban's going to see his, um, his prosperity continue. But Laban, again, as we saw two weeks ago with, with Laban's deception, we saw Laban's deception. We see him once again being deceptive. We see Laban tipping the scales in his own favor. See, he goes through his own flocks and he takes his, his, his different colored animals and puts them under the protection of his sons. And he separates them by a three days journey so that they cannot breed with the flock that is under the care of Jacob. He's trying to keep Jacob under his thumb by limiting the number of these specific animals. And what I want you to see is what Jacob does here, or or more importantly, what Jacob doesn't do here. See, Jacob doesn't chase down Laban. Jacob doesn't try to steal the sheep from, from Laban's sons. He trusts God to continue to bless and provide for him. He trusts God to continue to bless and provide for him. It reminds us of of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 14, we find the Israelites on the banks of the sea. And we remember, they've just come out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. God has done miraculous things all the way up through the, the Passover so that Pharaoh will let the Israelites go. And the Israelites walk out of Egypt and Pharaoh changes his mind. He has that moment of, wait a second, what did I do? I got to get these people back. I need these slaves back so that we can continue our work. And so he chases them down. And in Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites realize that the Egyptians are coming for them. Pharaoh's going to, at best, take them back into slavery. At worst, he's going to kill them all. And what do the Israelites do? They do what the Israelites always do In the book of Exodus, they start complaining and arguing and bickering. Oh, we should have just stayed in Egypt. Yeah, God brought us out of there. Yeah, God did all this stuff, but now he's going to let us die here by the sea. We should have stayed in Egypt where at least we had food and we were taken care of and we could have survived. And so God speaks to Moses and he says, I'm going to take care of this. And listen to what Moses says to the people. I love this. Uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see that the Lord's salvation, see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord fights for you. And then he says this, and you must be quiet. You must be quiet quiet. And I've heard some people try to say that this is really God saying, you must be still as in like, just trust me. That's not what that means. There's a a word that is translated as be still. This is a different word in the Hebrew language. This one means be quiet, shut your mouths, stop whining, stop complaining, watch what I'm going to do. The Israelites bickered and panicked and Moses said, you just trust the Lord. 
the greatest defense in our lives, whether it's from physical danger, emotional attacks, spiritual struggles, the greatest defense in our lives is never a snappy comeback, a nasty email, an unloving social media post, or some self-righteous grumbling about how if everybody just did what you want to do, everything would be okay. You know, our greatest defense against anything is to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And trust, to trust in the Lord means that we keep moving forward faithfully, even when it doesn't look reasonable or safe or comfortable to us. God's call to the Israelites was, listen, I'm going to split the sea. You're going to walk forward and I'm going to take care of everything. God's call to Jacob was, listen, I am going to bless you. Yeah, Laban's tried to deceive you. He's tried to rip you off. Stay faithful. I've given you what you need. I will take care of everything. Trust in me. For you and me, trust may mean standing our ground in holiness, even when the culture outside says that we are naive or bigoted or hateful or just plain childish and stupid. For us, trust may mean walking away from a situation that dishonors Jesus, even though it may cost us friendships and acceptance and promotions, even financial security. For us, trust may mean loving a person who has hurt you because that's what Jesus does for you. When we feel squeezed, when we feel the squeeze that that hinders our walk with the Lord, our best defense is not to get angry. Our best defense is not to fight back. Our best defense is to put our hope and our trust in a better defender. When faced with the challenge, can we honestly say that we trust the Lord as our defender? We trust God's blessings. To acknowledge and to trust God's blessings is a great place to start, but then we get to the the third approach to God's blessings. And it's this, that we enjoy God's blessings. Verse 37 through 43, show us how we enjoy God's blessings. Let me read this. It says, Jacob then took branches. Okay, so remember, Laban's, taken his animals, three days journey, separated them from Jacob, and Jacob's moved on. I know He knows what he gets, what is his pay. And so Jacob then took branches of fresh poplar, almond, and plain wood and peeled the bark, exposing white stripes on the branches. He set the peeled branches in the troughs in front of the sheep, in the water channels where the sheep came to drink. And the sheep bred when they came to drink. The flocks bred in front of the branches and bore streaked, speckled, and spotted young. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face the streaked sheep 
and the completely dark sheep in Laban's flocks. Then he set his own stock apart and didn't put them with Laban's sheep. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob placed the branches in the troughs in full view of the flocks, and they would breed in front of the branches. As for the weaklings of the flocks, he did not put out the branches. So it turned out that the weak sheep belonged to Laban and the stronger ones to Jacob. And the man became very rich. He had many flocks, female and male slaves, and camels and donkeys. We enjoy God's blessings. In these final verses of the story, we see Jacob put in to action his plan from verse 31 through 33. He comes up with this idea of how he can multiply his animals, these uncommonly colored animals. And what he does is he peels some branches, puts them in the water in the flocks to coax them to, to breed more speckled and, and spotted offspring. And not only does this seem to work, but he also manages then to breed the stronger animals into his line because when the weaker animals breed, he doesn't put the branches in their water. And so the weaker animals are bred into Laban's flocks while the stronger animals are bred into Jacob's. Now, I don't know what your background is in zoology um, or, or the breeding habits of goats and sheep, but uh, you probably don't know the scientific principle at play here that, that Jacob is, was working on. Uh, and that's because there is no scientific principle. <laughs> this makes no sense whatsoever. Nothing Jacob does with these branches, regardless of what kind of wood it was, there is no way, no scientific evidence that putting these branches in these troughs would get these animals to breed a certain way. And so too, even with the weak and the strong sheep, putting certain branches in their troughs or not shouldn't change what kind of young they breed. But Jacob enjoys the blessing because the results of this breeding project is not about Jacob's scientific approach. It's about God's intervention to multiply these rare animals and cause them to flourish. Jacob enjoys God's blessings, not because of his plan, but because God chooses to bless him. And as a result, Jacob becomes very rich. This is God's blessing to him, that he becomes very rich. We have talked a lot in the book of Genesis about blessings. Um, it's it's, it's a, a theme that runs through the entire book of Genesis. But here we get a really important point to recognize about God's blessings. And what we need to remember is this. When we experience God's blessings, whether they are material blessings, physical blessings, relational blessings, spiritual blessings, or any other type of blessing, we must remember that every blessing is a gift that flows from God's love and, and not as a result of our limited abilities. And what that means then is that we should enjoy the blessings God gives us. Because God has given them to us so that we can enjoy them. If these are a gift that God has given, not a, a, a payment earned by our efforts, then we should enjoy every blessing God gives us. 
That means that we should, we should love the fact that God has given us families in our lives. We should enjoy spending time with, with friends, with brothers and sisters in Christ. If God gives us the opportunity, we should take great vacations. If God lets us, we should be able to relax in our homes and enjoy the time that we have to sit and reflect. We should enjoy every blessing that God gives us. But, and there's always a but. If we stopped right there, this becomes a health, wealth, and prosperity teaching, right? God gives you good things, so enjoy God's things because he's gonna continue to give you things. That's not the point. Because those kind of blessings that we have talked about, these, these blessings of, of family, of friends, of homes, of vacations, uh, of all of those kinds of things, those are, those are tertiary blessings. They're third order blessings. They're low on the level of blessings. We have to remember what the, the first two levels of blessing is. Because the first blessing that we have, the first blessing we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of those other blessings in our lives matter, not one bit, unless we understand this first blessing, the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God in his infinite love for his creation, for his people, for his children, sees us, knows our rebellion, knows our brokenness, knows our wickedness, and instead of turning his holy and perfect back on us, instead chose to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be born of a virgin so that he could live a perfect life, the one we were created to live when God put us in the garden of Eden, but we failed. And as Jesus succeeded where we failed, he would then offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Dying sacrificially, paying with his blood the price that our sin owes. Since he never committed, he was paying for in his blood. Also that he could rise victoriously to defeat sin and death once and for all, leaving the, the empty tomb to proclaim his victory. Also that he could ascend to the right hand of the father where he sits as our high priest and our advocate to completely deliver us from the brokenness of this world. So that as we stand before the father in judgment, God doesn't look at us and say, yeah, here's all the good stuff you did. Here's the bad stuff you did. Because there's anything in the bad list, you deserve to be separated from me forever. But Jesus sits and says, no, no, no. That is our child. And God looks at us not for the good or the bad in our list, but looks at us clothed in Jesus' righteousness and Christ's perfection so that we get to enjoy eternity in the presence of a perfect, holy, loving, heavenly father. That is the first blessing. That's the first order of blessing. The second order of blessing is the fact that in this life, whatever years God has given you and me in this world, we get to live them as children of the most high God. That is absolutely incredible. And it changes every single day and every single moment of our life and our interaction with everything else in this world. 
that we live as children of God. And if I am a child of God, then, then in this crazy messed up world, I have certainty. 1 John 1, 3 says, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. I don't have to question. John says, Jesus has loved us and saved us. So ah, maybe, maybe we'll get to be children of God. Maybe we get to be accepted by the heavenly father. I don't know. Just try to do a little, a few more good things and make sure. No, he says it's, it's not because of who we are, what we do. It's because of Christ. Because of the sacrifice, the resurrection, the eternal reign of Jesus Christ, that we are children of God. We can be certain of that. As children of God, we have certainty. As children of God, we have purpose. Romans 8 verse 17 says, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We have purpose in this life. We will go through trials. We will go through challenges. We will suffer in this world. Not a single one of us will ever escape the fact that we will suffer in this world. But that suffering is not without purpose because that suffering is leading us to growing, to maturing, to being more like Christ so that with him as co-heirs with Christ, Christ, we get to enjoy the blessing of the presence of God. There's purpose. Even in our heartbreak, even in our suffering, we have purpose. As children of God, we have certainty. As children of God, we have purpose. As children of God, we have freedom. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are freed from sin and death. We are freed from the, the brokenness of the world around us. Yes, we still battle with it. Yes, we still struggle with it. But we are free because God has loved us. And because while we were still broken, while we were still completely and utterly undeserving, Christ died for us. So he sets us free. As children of God, we have certainty, we have purpose, we have freedom. As children of God, we get to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ask yourselves this, is that what our world looks like? Is that what the ways of this world teach, promote, display? Read through that list and then watch TV for 10 minutes. Watch the news for five minutes. Watch whatever the most popular sitcom of the week is and see if any of this shows up. Because if it does, it is fleeting and it is buried under an avalanche of otherness. But as children of God, we are not constrained to the broken ways of the world, we get to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. God gives us many other blessings in our lives, right? The material blessings, family, friends, homes, vehicles, jobs, health, financial stability, all of those things, those are third level. They mean absolutely nothing without the gospel of Jesus Christ and a life lived as children of the most high God. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, you and I get to celebrate God's blessings 
not as the wages we've earned, but in response to his great and awesome love. As we look back at the week we've been through, the month in the past, when we have encountered challenges, pushback, struggles, do we wallow in the things we don't like, the things we don't appreciate, the things we wish were different? Do we whine? Do we complain? Or even in the midst of the challenges and the struggles, and listen, I'm not downplaying any of those. For some of you, those are terrible and horrible and you're going through incredibly difficult times in life. But even in those moments, do we recognize the goodness of God's blessings and rejoice in what he has already done for us, in what he has already done in us, in what he is doing through us? And do we rejoice in God's blessings? God has blessed all of us in more incredible ways than we will ever even begin to realize. And, and you may have in your life made really good decisions along the way. Decisions that put you in positions to better receive those blessings. Others of us may have made horribly, horrendously damning decisions in our lives. Things that damage and hurt ourselves and those around us. But either way, God in his infinite grace and goodness has blessed us. So the question is not, have I been blessed? The question is, how will I respond to God's blessings? And that choice is ours. That choice is yours. That choice is mine. Every single one of us has the choice. How will I respond? Because we can operate with a sense of entitlement. We can believe that we deserve to be blessed because of who we are, because of what we've done, or because of how we've conducted our lives. Or we can recognize the majesty of God's mercy displayed through his blessing of his unworthy people. We can acknowledge God as the source and the deliverer of every blessing. We can trust that his blessings are enough for us, regardless of how we feel or see the current moment. And we can enjoy God's blessings for what they are, an unmerited gift to embrace and celebrate. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we see God's blessings in our lives. May we recognize them. May we acknowledge them. And at the same time, may we hold loosely those blessings, not as some wage for our goodness, but as gifts entrusted to us for a brief time. And may this perspective drive us to deeper gratitude, higher joy, and more faithful service in response to the riches of the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of our amazing Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you are a great and awesome God who is beyond our ability to, to fully and completely understand. Because if we could fully and completely understand you, it would make no sense that you are a good, gracious, kind, forgiving God. Because your holiness is 
so far above us that we, we can't even begin to imagine it. And yet in that, God, we are all the more grateful for the fact that you have loved us and you choose to bless us in this life. We pray that we wouldn't take any of those blessings for granted, but that we would acknowledge your blessings, trust your blessings and enjoy your blessings. Not as something we've earned, but Father, as a way that we get to know you better, a way that we get to respond to your love in our lives, that we get to display through the way that we engage in our lives, that we get to to display to a world around us what it looks like to be grateful, to be faithful, to be holy. And so, Lord, we pray that this week, this month, this year, whatever it is, uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would allow us to see all the more clearly your blessings and to respond with joy that you have chosen to love us and take care of us. Lord, we're so grateful that you are God and we are not. We love you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.